Hello and welcome to the podcast Tech Marketing Trends. My name is Jacob Loverbrand. I'm the managing director of Brightfish and as well as host of this podcast. Today we're quickly talking about renegade marketing, uh, building unbeatable B2B brands with Drew Nicer, who's founder and CEO of Renegade LLC. With that very short introduction, happy to have you with us here today, Drew. Hey, Jacob. It's great to be with you all the way from New York City. <laughs> oh, so awesome. And uh, yeah, you are, uh, you have a long history in marketing and sales and B2B. So, you know, I'm so happy to have you with us. And, and uh, we're going to talk about your book, uh, among other things and so forth. But maybe you can just warm up our audience a little bit by giving your, you know, a background, what you've been doing, uh, what do you do now and so forth. Sure. Um, I think when you say long experience, you you might be hinting at old. Uh, I I just want to say experienced and have been uh, been in the marketing uh, world for for quite a while. Um, I started at traditional agencies, Wells Rich Green and JWT. Um, I went to JWT because at the time it was called the University of Advertising, and I felt like I learned sort of the basics of packaged goods marketing. After JWT, I went to Shia Day, very creative, and sort of learned everything about account planning. But all through those first sort of 10 plus years of the business, I kept trying to fight the role of the account person and the role, the way agencies looked at marketing. Basically, it was they were advertising agencies. And I always felt there was more. And I was always interested in more. So... Uh, after Shiat, I jumped to uh, a Dentsu company, was working on one of their largest accounts, and they said, hey, Drew, we want to get this Panasonic account in the U.S. We need a new group to do that. Do you want to do it? And I said, sure, under one condition, and that condition is we don't be a, we're not a traditional marketing agency. Uh, and they said, we don't care, just get business. And, and part of the reason was at the time, Panasonic was at a company called Gray. Gray was a very traditional agency. So we started Renegade uh, in like 93 as a concept, named it 96. Uh, and we were the anti-Gray. That's where we started. We would do everything they didn't. We built their first, Panasonic's first website. We got them into all sorts of what would then be called guerrilla marketing programs. Anyway, condense that in, in 2008, I made the genius decision to buy Dentsu out. And I say that euphemistically or sarcastically because about 45 days after um, I bought Dentsu out, one of our clients defaulted on a half a million dollars. We went into the worst recession since 19, uh, 1929. <laughs> and, uh, and our largest client, Panasonic, at that point was about to walk out the door. Mm. Um, and so th at that point, that was a major pivot. And that forced a lot of the things that get to the book here. So in 2008, I had to make drastic cuts in terms of the services the agency provided. I had to really bring focus because it was a desperate time and we needed desperate measures. So at that point, we pivoted and just we got jettisoned a bunch of our groups and really focused on a couple of things. One was sort of brand strategy and two was social media and content because that was emerging as a new practice area. And that saved the business. It saved the company. And in order to do content, I realized I need to start doing this myself. So in 2000, actually a little before that, I started blogging. And once I started blogging, I said, I better start interviewing. Uh, 
count back from there, I've interviewed now over 600 chief marketing officers. Uh, and that's what happens when you start uh, something like this early and you keep at it. Uh, and so that has gotten me to the point where there's only two other people in the world that have interviewed more CMOs. <laughs> and uh, and I know them and they've both written books and they're wonderful people. And so the thing that I've really learned and probably the biggest thing about all of this is it's a really hard job and um, it's the most bespoke role in the C-suite. It's the hardest job arguably in the C-suite and they really need expert friends in their corner. And that's the way I look at what we do today, which is really, and it's really uh, my group CMO huddles now and Renegade support CMOs with community, with coaching and with content. And that's, that's the world that I live in today, having gone through major agency cycles and everything. And our business has continued to evolve. Wow. Fantastic. It's so interesting to hear. Uh, and I'm really, you know, curious about all the things you have learned over those 600 interviews and all the adults you have uh, on a regular basis as well. But you wrote the book one and a half, two years ago, something like that. I think you published it uh, in 2021. So maybe it's just over a year ago. And that was called Renegade Marketing and 12 Steps to Build Unbeatable B2B Brand. And I suppose you put a lot of your experiences uh, as thoughts in there that uh, you have learned over the years. So maybe, you know, and, and that also have given uh, the same name to your company, Renegade, you know. So can you talk to me a little bit about, you know, what are the core ideas and learnings you have learned over the years that you have you know, distilled down into the renegade marketing concept of the book you wrote and so forth. Sure. Yeah. It's the, the simplest thing is what I noticed starting in about 2018, first of all, we started to focus on, on, on B2B, uh, at that point in time. Cause I saw this moment where B2B was going from a backwater to really cutting edge. And I, and I saw that as an interesting thing. I didn't like everything I saw, but I, really did see B2B as, as a major opportunity and just a good focus for us. So uh, what I noticed was that B2B marketing was getting ridiculously complicated. And that was a theory that I had, but I wanted to sort of make sure that it was that was truth. So early 2019, we fielded a research study among 133 um, CMOs, many of whom I had interviewed over the last, you know, five, 10 years. And what we got back was yes, indeed, was like 90% yes, B2B marketing had gotten incredibly complicated. Um, but what we didn't see is a correlation to effectiveness. Complicated, yes. Uh, uh, effective, no. There had been no change in effectiveness despite this complexity. And I think because of this complexity. So that was my sort of working theory with uh, with the the, the problem I wanted to solve with Renegade Marketing is how do we radically simplify B2B marketing and give a framework so the CMOs could rethink what they were doing because the playbooks, a lot of it's driven by what's happening in Silicon Valley and venture capital and the PE firms all have the same playbook. And it's like, drive demand and, and just focus on that and just figure out, get your demand, get your tech stack set up, get your attribution model in place and just drive demand and make sure your pipeline is full. That's it. That's marketing 
in in the SaaS world. And, and it's not. That's such a limited look at marketing. Great marketers impact the company. Uh, so I wanted to set up that framework and say, sure, we're going to still have to deal with demand. I get that. But there's a much bigger role here for B2B marketers. And that's what these 12 steps are about. Do you work as a sales, marketing, or channel manager and would like to generate great leads to your B2B tech company? Then we are here for you. By creating a qualified sales pipeline and strengthen your position in the tech industry, we help you grow. Depending on your needs, we use effective strategies like inbound marketing, telemarketing, account-based marketing, and paid media. Get more information on brightvision.com. Fantastic. Uh, so, so uh, simplifying B2B marketing and so forth was one of the key insights and, and created this renegade marketing. And uh, I know we can't cover all the 12 steps, even though I would love to hear it all laid out, but could you briefly explain a little bit, uh, you know, some of the steps and some of the insights you came across in order how to do this and, uh, and the uh, foundations you have, you know. Sure. But words to and, and explain a bit in the book. Yes. Well, if I'm if I'm preaching radical radical simplification, I better be able to radically simplify my own my own uh, sermons, if you will. And and so first of all, I would do want to let your listeners know I have a one page cheat sheet that I am more than happy to share, which covers everything in the book in one page. Uh, so that's available. They just hit me up on LinkedIn. It's Drew Neiser on LinkedIn. Okay. Now. I, the book is actually divided into four sections and that under the acronym CATS. And that's a really important part of the book. And if you take nothing away, the four characteristics, if, if you asked me, hey, Drew, you've interviewed 600 CMOs, what makes those folks the best of the bunch successful? And I'd say it's four characteristics. One, they have um, the ability to be courageous, particularly when it comes to strategy. And that's so much harder than it sounds. Two, they have the ability to artfully ideate. So the A being artful. And it's not about just creativity in terms of design and so forth. It's about being artful in the way they communicate. Thoughtful is the T. And that's in the recognition that marketing has changed. And marketing is as much about service. Have the, We had an expression 10 years ago called marketing as service that when you are in service of your customers or prospects, your, your marketing is going to win. If, if it's just sell, 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 buy my product, buy my product, you're going to lose. Uh, so thoughtful execution. And then the last uh, one is, is, and you can be, have a courageous strategy, be incredibly artful in, in terms of the brand voice and the message and the story. Um, you can be thoughtful in the way you execute against customers, prospects, and, and uh, employees, customers, and you can still fail. And this is the part where you just have to have scientific, uh, what we call the scientific method. And this is, and that last one, while I don't dwell on it a lot, and it is still the hinge here that's so fun because you would think, oh my God, measurement, entire, you know, chapters on that. You know, what we're really talking about is simplification everywhere. So even in metrics, and this is the place where I think marketing has gotten out of control. You got marketers are spending 30% of their budget on technology. What? That's not marketing. That's just technology. So yes, some 
technology actually makes you more efficient and you know it's great and i'm not i have nothing against technology but the pendulum swung brands were spending too much on on technology and so we talk about automating attentively and then lastly in the last chapter of the book we say test to triumph and there's this moment where suddenly metrics become all the experimentation that you as a uh, as a marketer know is the best part of the world of that we do is that we get to do and test and try uh, interesting things. So that's the CATS framework. Um, I'm happy to point out a couple of other specific chapters if you want. Yeah, please, uh, because I know for, for one angle, and, and thank you for laying out that framework. I think it's very interesting and, and uh, there's a lot of uh, nuggets in your book there. But uh, one um, plastic problem, I think, is, is uh, that you do discuss in the book in a few few sections there is, is the conflict built in between being scientific, measurable, the growth, marketing, where you, you know, more or less do it like a software development uh, program. And then the creative part where you're crazy, try new things, you bold, go your own way, just as you talked about in the, your agency days, you know, where you did everything and die big agency and and create a lot of success by that. And how do you balance those, uh, you know, uh, extremes, so to say? And and can you talk to us a little bit about that and um, what you wrote about those things? Yeah, and I, I think that's where, if you only read three chapters in the book, I would say just read the first three chapters because everything springs from there. And so chapter one is called Clear Away the Clutter. And this is the problem that, you know, the biggest problem marketers have is time, right? They don't have enough time to, in theory, do all the things that are on their to-do list. That's the problem. There's too much stuff. I mean, email is managing people, not the other way around. Calendars are managing people, not the other way around. So this chapter, Clear Away the Clutter, is just a moment to say, you may have 100 things on your list, but only three or four of them really matter. And you may be giving a hundred things to your direct reports to do, but only three or four of those matter. So what are you doing? <laughs> Clear away the clutter. And so that's part one, just start there. And then the next is the recognition. It's called dare to be distinct. This is the courage part, dare to be distinct. And this is a bigger idea than simply creating creative messaging that stands out. Okay, this is bigger. This is about thinking about your company all the way in, in, you know, in our pregame, we talked about IKEA. IKEA is an unbelievable example of a company that is distinct in every aspect of its business. Every single, every single part of that company is distinct. And the sum of the parts make it them stand on a, a category by themselves. So daring to be distinct says that you as a marketer are going to look at the company, not just the marketing and figure out how can we be in fact distinctive from everybody else in in our marketplace uh, in our category if not the marketplace and I'll give you one th interesting little tiny example so you're a company and you're you're SADA system I interviewed the CMO probably uh, a little less than a year ago uh, it's not in the book but um, talking about what they do they are they support companies data in the cloud Okay, pretty basic thing. And there are a lot of cloud service providers and they used to support Google and Amazon and uh, you know IBM and, and these big cloud services. 
they made the decision to focus on one. They dropped the other two, which is totally counterintuitive. Everybody wants to expand their market. By focusing on the one, they doubled their business. It's like, that was a big bet. That's a company bet, daring to be distinct. And once you start there, then it's a lot easier to get in the scientific stuff because you know you're differentiating, you're, you're distinctively putting your brand somewhere where it's going to be hard to compete, not just on a messaging level, but on an everything level. So it's fantastic. That, yeah. Awesome. Those, those two, those two really get you off to a good, you know, and when I, when you would, what is renegade marketing? It's a mindset. It's my, a mindset more than a methodology. Uh, there are 12 steps in the book, but the mindset is the cat's framework. The mindset is stems from this notion that you can dare to be distinct. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you have interviewed so many CMOs and because when we talk about this, uh, especially when you mentioned there's a lot of <laughs> clutter and I can feel a bit guilty about creating clutter sometimes because I'm, a, I'm an ID person and, oh, we need to do that. No, wait, we do this, is that, you know, you which and uh, bathe and, you know, you want to do everything because you see cool stuff going and surf around and you visit, you know, whatever. You get a lot of ideas and of course the team can't execute all the ideas I have or who else is in charge, so to say. Uh, so which CMOs are you, you know, how do successful CMOs handle their creative ideas compared to their discipline and driving their programs and sticking to what matters and how do they know what matters at, and you know, who are the successful ones uh, based on your experiences, based on the interviews? So. There, there were a lot of questions in there, and I'm going to try to break it down a little bit. And so the, on the biggest picture level, what you find behind successful CMOs typically is an organizational operating system that sets priorities from the very top. It sets vision from the very top, sets priorities from the very top, and then they sort of trickle down. But all of it, if I talk to a junior person at Case Paper, which is one of the companies that I uh, that I talk uh, interviewed and talked to uh, in the book, and it was a client of ours, every single one of them can tell you what the vision of the company is, what it you know what its purpose driven story statement is, what are the three pillars of that story statement, and how do they fit in? And that's really important because. Um, how you fit into the greater thing has solves so many problems. If you as an employee know this is what we're doing, this is what we stand for, and they know, okay, and this is how I support what we stand for, their sense of satisfaction and gratification in the job is that much better. So look, the great CMOs are great leaders, then they're great marketers, and they're often work for great leaders. I mean, CMOs cannot be successful without great relationships with their C-suite and board and their and their peers. So again, it's all about being a leader first and a marketer second. And being a leader means having an operating system. And so in Case Paper's case, and, and, and I'm a big fan of EOS, which is the entrepreneur's operating system, they actually operate under EOS, uh, which if it, people haven't read it, there's a book called uh, Rocket Fuel and... Traction, um, 
can't recommend it enough for entrepreneurs. It's just a way. And then so you come up with a big, great idea, Jacob. Your team will say, great, let's put that on the list, to on the whiteboard for next quarter's quarterly review. Because <laughs> it's not one of our rocks this quarter. Unless it supports a current rock, great idea. You're a visionary. Keep them coming. But that's next quarter. There's a place for that. So great. I've set you up. Let's. Uh, I'd love to tell the story of Case Paper because it's a great example of how all this stuff comes together, if you want. <laughs> yeah, please. So I, what I love about this story is Case Paper sells paper. <laughs> I mean, it's almost, it's like the in the in the U.S. there's a TV show called The Office, right? It's, yeah, 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 I should just say that. It's like right? Thunder Mifflin. <laughs> exactly. What could be more of a commodity than Case Paper, uh, than paper? And, you know, case paper is not exactly that different of, uh, of a name. And so it's a seven, when we started working with them, they were 73 years old, they're probably 79 now. It's third generation run, family owned business. And this was a, a client and they said, hey, Drew, I, 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 this is a very dear friend now. Um, we wanna take case to the next level. We want to really, take some of the energy that we have internally and make sure that it's felt externally. So we did our process. Um, we do did the interviews with customers and prospects, and we discovered a couple of things. One, this was a company based on incredible service that had kept them going. Service in itself isn't a differentiator, so we kept researching. And what we discovered that in the 1960s, they had an advertising campaign that was actually very funny. They had a history of humor. And if you know archetypes, there are 12 archetypes, you know that in B2B, there are almost no joker archetypes. There are very few. If you have the courage to be humorous, you will cut through right away. So we had service, we had this archetype of joker. And so now it was, how do we bring that to the brand? And here's a company called Case Paper. So the purpose-driven story statement, which is 12 words, I mean, eight words or less that defines your brand, ideally your purpose, for them was on the case, case paper, on the case. Pretty simple, it's a pun, it's on the case, we're on the case uh, in, in terms of helping you get the paper that you need. But then we heretically messed with their logo, we revised their logo and we put on the, on top of case, in their logo, nobody does that. Again, it was, a, and we did it in a crooked way and it was like, what? And then there was a whole visual language that we created that was, loud and boisterous and humorous and dad humor punny um and but importantly and you talk about priorities and tying these things together we have something called a plan on a page in fact in the book there's a link to the case paper plan on the page and the idea there is there's six ways to bring it to life against employees six ways to bring it alive against customers six ways to bring it alive against prospects those are your three constituents go get them in that order Case took about a year on the employees. And the reason was, they said, I don't want this just to be a responsive that somebody calls and says, I need this amount of paper tomorrow. That's not on the case. On the case is reliable, resourceful, and responsive. So resourceful means someone calls and then it says, hey, I want this paper. And we say, you know, you could get this paper and save some money, or you could get this paper and it might be able to do... So suddenly on the case had a much more sophisticated notion that required training and so forth. 
and goal setting. Hey, how many calls? How quickly are we going to respond? All those things became part of what it means to be on the case. Uh, so 12 months of, of employee training and thing, roll it out, customer, and we had the, the, there was the on the case awards for employees, and then they rolled it out to customers on the case awards for customers uh, because they have a customer thing. Anyway, campaign's been running now four or five years. Uh, they've had record years, um, but more importantly, they win in a very tough recruiting environment because they use humor in their recruiting ads. <laughs> it's amazing. It's just, it's, it's amazing. And it's such an easy story to tell case paper. We're on the case. So anyway, uh, uh, there's a lot more to, to the case, but, uh, it's amazing. A little bit of clarity, a little bit of humor, um, and some clear guidance on what it is that we're trying to do. And, and, you know, and this is not a small company. They have 400 plus employees. Wow. What a cool story. And have you seen any, you know, negative sides of going the humorous and funny way? Are they losing the lawyers or the boring people? <laughs> you know, one advantage of a family run business is that they, you know, they kind of don't, they have a, an attitude, which is, it's not to say they don't care. But they're willing to take it. If if there was pushback, they'd be. But you know, their targets are are, are printers and art directors and designers and and you know, they really are showing the the human side of their business that this is a fun company to do business and of course a reliable one as well. Mm. Mm. I love it. I love it. What a story! Uh, fantastic. And um, if we, uh, you know. And, and that's, that's the, the whole idea in a nutshell to create a, a strong brand with some uh, distinct aspects that is sticky and so forth. And also have a connection, of course, to the service and the products and things like that. So that was a really, really interesting part. And, uh, uh, if I might add one, one thing, yeah, baked into that, I think it's chapter five, chapter five is called perfect pithy. And one of the, probably the most consistent problem I ha have with B2B brands is I'll, ask, I'll talk to a CMO. I'll say, so talk about your business and you got eight words. <laughs> you know, a lot of them can't do it. You know, and that's, if they can't describe their business in eight words or less, they've got a problem. And this is what I talk about the complexity of it. Well, for this group of people, we're the company that does this and we can help them do this. And here are five features that differentiate us from the other four features of our competitor. Mm. Stop. Mm. Keep it really simple. I'm not saying you don't need to get into detail. It's a hundred thousand dollar B2B deal. You're going to have a lot of detail, but make sure it comes back to one big, clear idea why you exist. Yeah, I like that. Really, really important, but also hard. I've found out it's it's not that easy to find a purpose that is, because sometimes we we read all these good to great books, and it sounds so easy to yeah, we are the ones helping science to discover the cancer quest or or things. But yeah, I would love to have that as our quest. But we're a marketing agency, or we're selling papers, as you say. So yeah, it it's it's a lot of work to find those areas, but it. It, uh, it's well worth the ride, uh, I suppose the conclusion is. 
You know, it, you're you're right. And one of the things that I talk about in the book is you can read this book. I'm giving you the scalpels, but that's not going to make you a brain surgeon. You 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 may need outside help when it comes to crafting purpose-driven story statements. Uh, it's not something. And by the way, you can't use ChatGPT for that either. Uh, <laughs> I, I've, I've tested it on any number of things. But there's another aspect to this that is important. Let's say that you do, your predecessor had the eight words or less and actually got one. The tendency is for new CMOs is to abandon whatever happened before. And so the brand will take a pivot and then that CMO will leave and then the brand will take a pivot. And you're not, you know, it's brands are like water on rocks. Eventually you really can get in and become something meaningful. But if you are changing your positioning every 18 months and, and changing your story 18 months, you've got a problem. And this is where uh, CEOs and boards of directors need to step up a little bit because other, otherwise it feels like the brand is just throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what sticks. You know, if it's really purpose driven, then it should be something that stays with you a long time. Yeah. I mean, service okay. mentality, no matter what case paper is delivering or the type of paper, the service mentality is never going to go away. They could stick with on the case forever. Mm. Fantastic. Drew, you have so many things to offer us. I'm so grateful for telling us these stories. I'm so inspired. And thank you so much for that. I know you're a busy guy. But, uh, you know, uh, apart from your book, Renegade Marketing and so forth, where can our listeners read more about you and your content and your company? So uh, easiest thing, and I encourage uh, on LinkedIn, I'm Drew Neiser, uh, and I certainly publish there quite a bit. And on renegade.com, all of the podcasts that I've recorded, all the articles that I've written, everything is there. Um, so happy to, uh, you know, we'll welcome you. And if you sign up for either on LinkedIn, I've got a, a, a newsletter that's been going out for 10 plus years, um, and feel free to sign up for that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Drew. Uh, really appreciated all this, and I hope we can catch up sometimes in the future to see how it goes, but thank you so much, and I wish you all the best. Thank you, Jacob, and I really admire what you're doing. Uh, it's a lot of work to produce a podcast, and uh, I appreciate you and the stories you're telling. Thank you.